Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. The title of my message this morning is Things Remembered as we've gathered together to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. How many of you are old enough to remember when the Beaver Valley Mall had stores in it? Anyone? Do you remember that? And I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of those stores was Things Remembered. Do you remember that one? Right, and that was a store that really offered certain items that people would have engraved to commemorate special occasions in their lives. Now, the founders, I'm sure, had this mentality that, as far as they were concerned, memories are precious. And over the years, we do develop and produce, you know, memories that we have in lives that are precious to us and valuable to us. And so that's the whole gist behind the store. Well, they knew that those memories would help people be connected, whether it's with places or people that basically impacted their lives or helped me even, let's just say, develop them in their, their lives. So they did a lot of selling, I'm sure, based on that mentality. How many of you know that God feels the same way about things? And he also wants us to remember some things along the road to life, right? Well, for example, you think about the book of Exodus in chapter 12, and there's a record in that chapter of the last plague that was used by God to wake up Pharaoh to let God's people go free. Now, the first nine defied every one of the gods of the Egyptians that they trusted in to deliver them from all the things that took place. But they were not good enough to do so or powerful enough to do so. But that still wasn't good enough to convince Pharaoh, let my people go that they might serve me. Right. Right. So along came the last plague in Exodus chapter 12, which was, of course, the Passover, the death angel and so on. And we know all about that. But what? They were told to do was two things. Take the blood of a sacrificial lamb that you offer as a sacrifice and place the blood around the uh, doorframe of the house. And also eat the lamb, roast it and eat it till it's all gone. In the process of doing so, when the death angel was unleashed to come upon the people, if that angel saw the blood, they passed over that household and the people were spared the death of the firstborn son. Now, can you imagine what that might have been like on the following morning when all the Egyptians saw their firstborn son dead in their arms? Can you imagine the weeping, the wailing, and everything that took place during that time? It had to be a tremendously traumatic experience for all of them. As a matter of fact, so traumatized, Pharaoh just said, get them out of here. Let them go. Give them what they want. Silver, gold, whatever it is. Just get them out of here. I can't handle this. And so they were set free. They were delivered. Well, God then, in order for them to remember their deliverance, 
established, you could say, the ritual of the Passover feast. And every year they were to celebrate the Passover to remind them of a time when they were under oppression, they were in slavery to the Egyptians, and so on. And life was absolutely miserable. But God, with an outstretched arm, delivered them in a powerful way from this oppression so that they could serve him. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, Jesus does something here. What does he do? He adds more meaning and significance to what took place. He adds something to it. As a matter of fact, what he does is he shifts the focus from a physical deliverance provided for them by the body and blood of a sacrificial lamb to the supernatural deliverance that took place provided for us by the body and the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he did. And here it is. And they went and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he brake it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do This do in remembrance of me. Now he's shifting their focus to remind them of something even greater than the type, which was the Passover, bringing them out of Egypt, to the antitype, which was him. He himself would become the sacrificial lamb that would deliver them from something greater than Egyptian slavery. Likewise, also he took the cup after uh, supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So this supper is all about remembering something. It's about all of us gathered together here today to remember something significant, something importance, of, of great importance to our lives, something that is so meaningful it goes beyond words. So you can see the shift from a physical to the supernatural. You see, the type could never, never satisfy. It took the antitype, which is Christ coming and becoming the sacrificial lamb, but it was set up. That's why we as believers celebrate the Lord's Supper, which I believe was a fulfillment of the Passover meal. So that's what we're going to do today. But what I'd like us to do is to get three good close looks at what it means. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read this first of all, then we'll expound on it. What? This is from the New Living Translation. Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Where did Paul get this? From the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Now remember, Paul wasn't there. So Jesus is telling him, this is what I did. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember 
me. You talk about something to remember? In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord, now notice, unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Whoa! Shouldn't that set up a red flag for us right there? Whoa, I would not want to participate unworthily if that's what it does. I don't want to sin against the body and blood of my Lord, do you? That is why you should examine your neighbor. Let that sink in. That's why we should examine ourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Notice, you're doing it to yourself. That is why we, we also always want to know a cause for something, don't we? That is why, what? Many... Of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we are not, we would not be condemned along with the world. Would you say that's a lot that's being spoken right there? Wow. When you think about that's why some are sick, weak, and die prematurely, there's a lot to really process there, isn't it? Absolutely. So in other words, what we're about to do here today is absolutely significant. It is meaningful. It is life impacting. It affects our health and well-being and so on. So I'm trying to do my best to stay slow. <laughs> and not so fast today. I'm not going to give you any guarantees as we go on. Three looks. Number one, look within. Look within. Okay, look at verses 27 and 28 once again. Anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of our Lord, of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Who am I to examine? myself. I am to look within myself. Do you realize it is so much easier to look at others and criticize others and think of others? Is it that the truth? It's easy. What did Jesus say about don't be looking at that telephone or at that splinter or that toothpick in your brother's eye when you've got a telephone pole in yours, right? That's what he was saying to us. Just look at yourself. Just examine yourself. So he is calling upon every one of us to remember something by looking within ourselves and asking ourselves some pointed questions. Now, if there's ever a time that we should be serious, sincere, and, and reverent about this, it would be right now. Right here and right now. Which is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper 
uh, a certain amount of times throughout the course of the year. Some do it almost every service, some do it every day. And the thing is, when you do it that way, it might lose its meaning. But when you really take time to think about it, and maybe we do it like every quarter or something like that, you think about it. You've got time to really consider what's going on and what we're really doing. This is what it's all about right here. Because this represents not the sacrificial lamb, but the lamb of God who was slain. So I am to consider myself. Now, in actuality, none of us have a right to sit at the Lord's table on our own merits. Is there anything that you or I could have done to get us to sit at the Lord's table? No, absolutely, positively not. It was all the work of Christ. All that he did for us in his great redemptive work makes us worthy to sit at this table. Notice he didn't say that you're not worthy to sit at it. He said, don't do it in an unworthy manner. We're worthy to sit at the table because of the grace of God, because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for our redemption. So we have a right to be at this table and to partake of it. But to do it worthily, we've got to really give it some serious thought. We examine our own hearts. We examine our own lives. We examine our own attitudes and motives of the heart. Remember back in Psalm 139, that wonderful Psalm of David where he talked about you've been fearfully, wonderfully made by God and God knows everything about us. He knows our coming in, our going out, our rising up, our lying down. He knows even the words before they come out of our mouth. He knows exactly what we're going to say. I mean, think about that. You think about the intimacy that we have with God that we sometimes overlook and we're unaware of. But think about this. He has numbered every hair on your head. There was a time when I thought, okay, he's talking about how many hairs we have. But no, he's talking about every hair has been numbered. Every hair. Who does that? Who thinks about that? His thoughts of us are as the sand along the seashore. He thinks so much of us is beyond our comprehension. But at the end of that psalm, here's what he says. Search my heart. And let me know if there's something on the inside of me that you're displeased with. What a statement. So what's he asking us to do? Before you do this, he said, search your heart. Search your heart. Examine yourself. Examine your own life. Examine your attitudes, your motives. Examine your desires. I listed a few questions we can ask ourselves. And the first one is, is love the motivating force behind all the activities in my life? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Is love the motivating? This, this word love here is agape love, divine love, the unconditional love of God that's based on principle and decision, not based on feelings and emotions. But here's what he says. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and has given himself for us an offering and, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. What's he saying? To imitate him by walking in love. Now, we might be thinking that, well, I walk in love, we walk in love. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you love your enemies? Do we love our enemies? Think about that. I know we love those that love us. And Jesus made that very clear. That's very easy for us to do. But to love our enemy by doing good to them that hate us, praying for those that despitefully use and abuse us, and speaking well of those that speak evil of us, is not an easy thing to do. But Jesus said, if you want to be mature, like your Father in heaven is mature, then love even your enemies. And again, how? Do good to them. Is that the first thing on your mind this morning when you got up? 
I want to do good to somebody that's my enemy. Most people don't think that way. We're not wired that way. But what is he saying? You want to walk in love to imitate your heavenly father. Aren't you glad that love loved us enough to send his son? God so loved the world that he gave his son to us while we were enemies. He loved us as enemies and he's telling us to love others even though they may identify themselves as our enemy. But that's just cross-grain with us. It just doesn't jive with us. It's not something that we are wired to do. As a matter of fact, phileo love is a responsive kind of love and it says this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But you know what? If you holler at me, I'll holler back at you. That's just responsive kind of love. But he's called us to a higher realm of love. And, and we examine ourselves. Am I really giving myself to walk in the kind of love that God had toward me? That Christ had toward me? While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were an enemy, Christ died for you. And myself also. Number two. Uh, do I forgive as I've been forgiven? And this is huge. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Anybody here glad you've been forgiven? Amen. I mean, you're really glad you've been forgiven? Amen. And of course, the big thing is spiritual death, right? Aren't you glad you've been delivered from that sin? Spiritual death, separation from God. But even after we've come to Christ, if you recall the story of Peter asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive when someone wrongs me? Seven times? And Jesus says to him, no, no, not, not seven times, Peter. Seven times 70. What does that mean? 490 times a day, I'm to forgive those that have wronged me or they've done something against me? Well, that's what he said. And they said, well, then you better increase my faith. What did Jesus say? If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you say to that sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and planted to the sea, it would obey you. What's he talking about? Tell the root of bitterness to get out of your heart, plant it into the sea of forgetfulness, and don't bring it up any longer. Forget about what people have done to you, how they have wronged you in any way. Plant it there in the sea of forgetfulness and leave it there. Why should I do that? As Christ has forgiven me, so I should forgive you. Right? He paid that kind of a debt for me. Who am I to hold a debt against you? Now, does that, don't get that confused. Does that mean if someone did something horrible to me, I've got to have, you know, fellowship with them every day or sit down and eat with them every day? That's not necessarily the case. If you've been a victim of rape, for example, you're to forgive that person, but you don't want to invite them over. Right? But you forgive them, you release them. Absolutely. And down the road, praise God, even with that forgiveness and whatever, they can come to Christ and recognize what they've done and, and have more remorse. But we're to forgive as he's forgiven us. And as he gave us the example in, in Matthew, he talks, he talks about he forgave us the, let's say, the billion dollar debt. And we've got a $25 debt. And he says to forgive. And if we don't forgive, then what's happened? He's, he turns us over. To those that we don't want to be turned over to. If you want forgiven, then we have to forgive. Okay, so we examine our hearts. Am I forgiving people the way God wants me to forgive people? What about number three? Am I walking worthy of my calling? Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Notice the book of Ephesians is a very powerful book. It starts off talking about who we are in Christ, the wonderful blessings that we have in Christ. And then it talks about our walk. Our walk with the Lord. The practical things we should be carrying out in our lives. 
And then it talks about our warfare at the very end. So our worth, our walk, and our warfare. The warfare at the very end, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against all these powers of darkness that are coming against us to destroy us. But anyhow, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, this is a very strong Greek word, I beg you with every fiber of my being that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Every single one of us has been called by God to walk with him. In this life, with all lowliness or being humble and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, forbearing one another in love. Then he goes on to say, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So what's he talking about within the body of Christ that we should be walking in love, forgiving one another and also promoting the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? How? By walking worthy of the calling. We've been called to a high calling in Christ Jesus our Lord, haven't we? A high calling. And that is to walk with Him in the high heavenly places by walking in this realm of love. And if we are, it will manifest in forgiveness. It will manifest in promoting unity among the people of God. And the move of the Spirit manifesting Himself as we gather together. It will allow the ministry of the, the gifts to be in operation. And then we'll grow up into him in all things who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies, causes the body to grow together in love. Amen. So, and finally, are we serving as we've been called to serve? Every single one of us has been called to serve God. Go back to the, go back to the type. Let my people go. Why? That they might serve sin, Satan, and self? No, but that they might serve me. Why have we been saved by grace? So that we might, as his workmanship, do what? Good works. And he's talking about serving me. Serving God. With everything that we have. With all that we are. With our efforts. With our energy. With our finances. With our strength. With our abilities. With our talents. With the gifts that he has given us. We are to surrender everything. Our all to him. And serve him with our lives. Whether you're playing an instrument. Or writing out a card. Encouraging somebody else who might be sick. And is in need of some form of encouragement. It doesn't matter what level. Jesus said if you give a cup of cold water. To anybody in my name. It's like you did it to me. You can pray. You see, we're without excuse because we can pray. Every single one of us can get up, go to bed at night, either way, get on our knees and just say, Father, I just lift up so-and-so. I thank you for his or her life. I make a highway for you to move. And I'm just believing with them for success and victory in their lives in the precious name of Jesus. And so we examine ourselves. Are we doing what he has instructed us to do? This is why he died, so that we could emulate his life. Number two, looking back. Looking back. We're looking within, and now we're looking back. Look at the verses here in verses 24 and 25, again, from the New Living Translation. Looking back, and he gave thanks, and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Okay, so let's remember him. This is a memorial supper. We look back to a time, and where did this take place? At Calvary. And we look at what he did to redeem us from our fallen state. So, 
He died the most horrific death that any person on the planet has ever died or will ever die. It's easy for us just to go through the motions religiously that, you know, it's Easter time and we celebrate Easter, his resurrection and all that. But he's talking about when you do this, when you celebrate this communion, I want you to really take some specific time in your thinking to set yourself apart, to take yourself all the way back to Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago and paint for yourself a picture of what it took for him to do what he did to redeem us from our fallen state. We could take a moment right now and just go all the way back and just see him having this last supper, the Passover meal with his disciples. And then looking over to Judas and do what you're going to do, but do it quickly. And he goes off to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Can you see it as we unfold this picture before you? And then they sing the hollow choruses as they march on the way to Gethsemane. And there they get to Gethsemane. They're singing and he says, stay here. I'm going to go pray for a while. And then you can just see him just kneeling, kneeling down at the rock in the garden. And all of a sudden, this deep intercession comes upon himself. And there he is kneeling at the rock and he's crying out to the Father. And he is so moved that angels even come to minister to him. But I'm telling you, there is something that's going on. There is a warfare that's taking place. This is not a man who's afraid to die. He's not afraid to die at all. Others were going to die by crucifixion. Were they braver than him? No. He knows all that was the type. This is the antitype. This is him on his knees knowing he's about to be made sin for the world. And all the sin of the world will enter into his being. So there he is praying out as if it were sweating blood. And then finally coming and seeing his disciples sleepy and sleeping. Could you not watch and pray one hour? And he goes back and once again, he gets on his face before the father and he cries out. Oh, father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done. Thy will be done. He knows how horrific this is going to be. He knows how awful this is going to be. And then, of course, he's in the garden. Judas comes and gives him a kiss. And then... All of a sudden, he's attacked. He's going to, he's going to be uh, arrested. But when they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he says, I am. And they all fall over. You think they would learn a lesson by that? Then they get up and they arrest him. And Peter cuts, cuts this fellow's ear off and Jesus puts it back on. And the guy's like, stargazed by what just happened to me? Who can do that? He's then taken to... The high priest where they absolutely humiliate him, pluck out his beard, smack him, mock him, jeer and just scoff him and everything else. And then he goes from there to Pilate and you know the story there. And then to the whipping post and all the whipping upon his back. And then he goes and carries his cross down the Via Dolorosa and he's on his way to Calvary where he's going to suffer like no man ever suffered before. Not just because of crucifixion. You know, we emphasize crucifixion. Others were crucified on that cross. I'm not saying that it's not an evil thing or a horrible thing. It is. It's a horrible way to die. But remember, look at Isaiah 52, 14, I believe it is. Holman Christian Standard Bible. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. You think any Roman lictor saw that before? No, they never saw that before. What has happened here? 
He cries out, my God, my God. He never called God, God. He called him his father. Why have you forsaken me? Can you see the vulnerability of the son of the living God? Can you see him on that cross when he's becoming sin? The sin of the world was placed upon him. The wrath of God was about to be experienced by him. Wow. What a horrible, horrible way to die. The Holy One becoming sin who knew no sin. Why? To make us righteous. That's what it cost to make us righteous. And oh my goodness, he says, remember me. There's no other body, there's no other blood that can make you righteous with God. No other blood, no other body, no sacrificial lamb could do it. You can sacrifice millions and millions and millions of lambs and you can take all the blood together at one time and it still won't satisfy. You've been redeemed not with silver, not with gold, but with the precious blood. Can we just take a moment? Tell them thank you. Oh, hallelujah. Let it speak to our heart, our mind, our attitudes, our ambitions. Let it speak to every fiber of our being. If this doesn't impact us, I don't know what can or what will. But this shed blood, the only blood that could pay our ransom. Hallelujah. We're looking back. And we're motivated by it. That's the motive. That's why we serve Him. It's one thing to say, you better serve the Lord. It's another thing to say, I love to serve the Lord because of what He's done for me. Because of what He's done. See, I see it. I see it. I, see, I understand it, Lord. Man, without you, where am I? Number three, we look forward. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing. Oh, hallelujah. Announcing the Lord's death until he what? Comes again. I don't know what you're doing. I know that Andrew's on target. He's on point. He's looking up at the Temple Institute. He's looking about what's taking place and get what they're gathering together. They're talking about starting the building of the third temple. And he is very much praying for the red heifer's hairs to all be red. <laughs> Those last couple that weren't red, he is, they stand no chance. I mean, every night, I want those red hairs red, praise God. But if you go and find the, the Temple Institute, that's what you discover, is that they are so gung-ho and on fire for the rebuilding of the temple, this third temple that's going to be gone up. They've got the $2 million menorah already in place. They've got all the priestly clothing and robes and all in place. And they've got the foundational stones all ready to go. They've got the blueprints already drawn up. And they're now talking about this is the time that we will begin to work on the third temple. Guess what? We're close. It is closer than what we think. You realize that? 
So when we talk about forward till he comes, he's coming. He is coming soon. But you know what? Even if he doesn't come within the next five years and we leave this realm of life, he's still coming to get you. Right? And we should be living as if he was coming in the sky even tonight or tomorrow morning. And that's what it's saying. Now, the first time that he came, how did he come? As an innocent babe. He came as a lamb to the slaughter. He came to submit himself, subject himself to all the criticism and all the beating and all the becoming sin and all that for every single one of us. Well, I'm telling you something right now. There's going to come a time when he's going to come, but not like that. Revelation chapter 19 tells us how he's going to come. After the church is raptured out of here. And seven years will we go to be with him. And seven years we get our rewards for all the labors of our hands. And all that we've done to honor him. We celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. Aren't you glad for those seven years there in glory. Where we spend that wonderful time getting to know our Savior in an intimate way. But then he says, okay guys, I got the saddles. Uh, the horses are all saddled up and we're ready to go. And you see right here on the earth, as you can look down there, you can see there's this 200 million army that's coming against Israel. They're going to wipe them off the planet and they think they're going to succeed. But you know what, boys, let's get ourselves together. Ladies, let's get our, there's no gender in heaven, I guess, I don't know. But let's get ourselves together, right? And here's what it says. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were... Uh, many crowns, a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, praise God, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of King, all kings, and Lord of all lords. Oh, somebody, give him a praise offering. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's not coming to be publicly humiliated. He's not coming to be shamed. He's not coming to submit himself and surrender to the will of all the evil ones. He is coming, praise God, to King of kings and Lord of lords to rule and reign upon this planet in a powerful and glorious way. He's going to show them how it's done. You talk about politics, he's going to show how to rule and reign. In the book of Revelation 22 and verse 20, as he comes, this is what our prayer is. He which testified these things saith, surely I come quickly. Amen. Say it with me, even come, even so come, Lord Jesus. Say it again, even so come, Lord Jesus. Would you mind if he came this morning before we celebrated here? It'd be great to celebrate up there, right? Amen. And look at our last verse here in the book of Titus chapter 2. And we'll close it with this one. Because this should be our posture while we're living here on the planet. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us 
and to make us His very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. He's coming again. And our posture should be, lift up your eyes, because your redemption is near. It's drawing nigh. It's near than ever before. Amen? I'm telling you, it's nearer than ever before. So what's our conclusion? Very simple. These three looks can help us to seriously and reverently prepare ourselves in a meaningful way to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You ready for the trumpet to sound? Anyone ready for the trumpet to sound? And the graves will open and the dead in Christ will rise. Are you ready for that? Listen, we're living in a day and hour right now where there's, there's so much out there that it's incomprehensible. But you know what? We can't walk in fear. We believe the greater one still lives in us. Amen.